Ephesians 2.11 says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, that is the Hebrew, the Jew, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. And with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're in a series talking about the signs of a healthy Christian. What are we looking for in the life of a Christ follower that would indicate that they are healthy? That they are growing? That they are producing fruit? We started with love. Love is the first fruit of the Christian life. Then we went to holiness. Holiness is the necessary product of us being sanctified, set apart by God and and following and obeying His Word. Today we're going to talk about the third essential, vital fruit, the sign of a healthy Christian, and that is fellowship. Fellowship. Now, explaining why fellowship is important is like telling a heart that it needs the brain to function. Or it's like telling a brick that's by itself that it needs to join other bricks in order to build a house. Fellowship should be understood, assumed by Christians that that we need each other to grow in our relationship with God. But unfortunately, although some don't say it, many will say with their lives, I am a Christian, but I don't need the church. I can do this Christianity thing alone. I have a personal relationship with God. I don't, I don't need a deep relationship with other Christians. This is popular today. In a day that where it's kind of this individualistic approach to Christianity. Calvin, John Calvin, it's almost like he prophesied about this coming. He said this, this is a quote from the theologian. He said, individuals would gladly make churches for themselves if they could. For they find it so difficult to accommodate themselves 
to the ways and habits of others. Isn't that a great description of the church today? People come in and out of church buildings looking for a place that they can be fed, what fits them, what fits their preference, their style. And if they can't find anything in church buildings, then, well, they can stream the service at home. They can sit on the couch in their pajamas and just watch church, experience church. Fellowship, you need to understand, is a part of the Christian's calling. It's essential. It's part of who you are. It's your, part of your new identity and, and just what you do. The house of God gathers. The people of God need each other. And I want to show you that through three scriptures. I, I read one of them already, and we're going to look at two other passages to really draw out this theme of fellowship and what it means, what it looks like. I want to start you, though, with 1 Corinthians 1.9. I said fellowship is part of your calling. Guess what? God signed you up for fellowship. You're signed up. You're in it. 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us that. God is faithful by whom you were called into what? Into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is part of your calling. And if it's your calling, then it is essential for your health and growth. We need each other. We need each other to grow as Christians. Let's first start with a definition of fellowship. Fellowship is a word that's tagged all around the church. Tagged to the potluck, tagged to the conversation you have at church. What is fellowship? Is fellowship a noun or a verb? Is it uh, you know, a thing or is it a thing that we do? You've heard maybe some say, hey, come join our fellowship. Seems to make it like a gra- gathering or a group. And then Others will say, hey, come fellowship with us. Like, this is a thing that we do. If you really understand the nature of fellowship as it's defined in Scripture, it's kind of both. Fellowship is kind of both. I, have a, I want to submit to you a definition for fellowship. And it, it draws a little bit from our discipleship lessons and also the meaning of fellowship as we see it in Scripture. Here it is. Fellowship is both the close association and activity of believers in union with Christ. So there's the thing, the group, the association, but fellowship also includes this idea of participating together, doing things together. If I would give you a simple layman's definition, this is what I would say. Fellowship is the reality that you've been joined together, and so now you do things together. You've been joined together, and so now you do to do things together, and you've been joined together, get this, by Jesus Christ. In fact, the blood shed of Jesus Christ. Your blood relatives, if you're in Christ. And so let's look first at the association of fellowship. Point number one in your outline. The association. This isn't like your HOA, your homeowners association, okay? Very little agreement. Minimal participation and a meager cause. The association of Christian fellowship, get this, is united by blood for the cause of the one who spilled it. Let me say that again so you might write that down. The association of Christian fellowship is united by blood for the cause of the one 
who spilled it. And that's Jesus Christ. That's what we just read about in Ephesians chapter 2. Really, the uniting of believers together through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. These two people, Gentile, Jew, not naturally friends, okay? Especially in the first century, these were in constant disagreement, constant opposition to one another. Israel thinking, we're God's chosen ones, the Gentiles are like the dogs, the outsiders, the strangers. And so you'll notice that Paul plays into that and says, some of you were once far off, far off not only from God, but far off from the commonwealth of Israel. There was a great divide between the Jew and the Gentile. But what happened? Ephesians chapter 2 presents this triangle, if you will. Think about a triangle. At the top, you have God. And on these two opposite corners, you have the Jew and the Gentile. Really, let's put you and the stranger. Okay, You and the stranger. It doesn't matter your ethnic heritage, your cultural background. You and the stranger on two opposite corners. Different life experiences come from different states, maybe different backgrounds. Okay? Two strangers. This is what Ephesians 2 says happens. Jesus Christ brings those two strangers from far off to God. And how does He do that? He unites them by dying on the cross and spilling His blood. Strangers were blood-bought by Christ. Jesus Christ came and He lived a perfect life. He, he was holy, without sin, set apart from the rest of the world. And He came to the cross by obedience to the will of His Father and He died there. And it wasn't just this great spectacle of physical suffering. Jesus died in your place to suffer for your sins. This is essential to the Gospel. And by doing that, and then rising from the dead three days later, He abolished the dividing wall between this stranger and that one. And He made them both Give, gave them both access to God. And if you'll notice with a triangle, if these two strangers are brought near to God, they are also brought near to what? Each other. You've been united by the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood that He spilled. And so Paul says, you're, now, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens. Same kingdom, a new kingdom. You are members of a new family, the household of God. And you are now living stones of a new house, not stones that are separate from each other, but stones brought together to build this house, the house of God, which is the church of the living God. This is what it means to be a Christian. Welcome to the fellowship. God signed you up. And He paid a great cost for you to be in this fellowship in this group, this association. And so if you have been blood-bought blood by Christ, and if the blood of Christ unites you, well, there's this phrase that blood is thicker than water, right? Well, you know what's thicker than blood? The blood of men, it's the blood of Christ that joins you and a stranger together. You may not look the same. You may be from two different backgrounds, Raised differently, you might have different colored skin, you might speak a different language, but your commonality is in Christ. You are united by Him, blood relatives. 
Not human blood, per se, the blood of common men, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And so, let me ask you, what is that... What does that cause you to think about the nature of your relationship with other believers? Don't you think you might be close to one another? Don't you think you might have this sense of familial responsibility to one another? Don't you think there might be some connection, some joining together? How can people think that they can call themselves a Christian, have relationship with God, but not have relationship with the church? How can somebody say... I love Jesus Christ the groom, but I don't love his bride, the church for which he bought. A great biblical illustration of fellowship is that of the yoke. That of the yoke. Not the egg yoke, but the yoke that is typically placed over two animals to pull a plow. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what, here's our word, fellowship, has light with darkness? The rhetorical answer is none. Light and darkness are antithetical, right? Righteousness and lawlessness are antithetical. And so are, what Paul's point is making here, so are the lives of believers and unbelievers. They should not be yoked because They have different worldviews, different motivations. They're they're walking in two different directions. Now think about a yoke with me. A yoke is this big, essentially wooden bar that's placed over two animals. Two oxen, two donkeys, whatever. But the point of a yoke is that the animals are able to share the weight. They're joined together by this big wooden bar, and they're able to share the weight together in pulling the plow. And in order for it to work, they need to be walking in the same direction, do they not? They need to be joined tightly, closely, under the same cause. And Paul's point in 2 Corinthians is, hey, be careful with your relationship with unbelievers. If you yoke yourself with them too closely, then the end is disaster. It's not going to work. It doesn't work. Now, it's not that you can't have relationships or even friendships with the world, you, in the workplace, in your neighborhoods, you're surrounded with unbelievers all the time. It's not that you would ostracize them from you or recluse yourself into, you know, not talking to unbelievers. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a light on the hill. We're supposed to be effective witnesses for the cause of Christ. But Paul says, be careful in yoking with them. Be careful in joining in too close of relationship because it will not work. Rather, conversely, the implication should be that we yoke ourselves with who? Fellow believers. Christians. Why? Because we are going in the same direction. We have been united by the same master. We have the same cause. The same worldview. The same motive for living our life. We have the same destiny in being with God forever in heaven. So yoke yourself with believers, not unbelievers. And this is the essence of fellowship. Bound together in Christ, striving together for Christ. That's the essence of fellowship. Bound together in Christ and striving together for Christ. Now, 
if you understand the essence of Christian fellowship, then you understand this. Walking away from fellowship, from the fellowship of the church, is, get this, akin to walking away from Christ Himself. Let me say it this way. There's no such thing as Christianity outside the fellowship of the church. Show me. Show me in Scripture. No such thing. Now, let me be quick to say that there might be a season, right, in our lives of us searching for fellowship, maybe between a move. There might be seasons where we're moving to a new area and we're, we're searching or or maybe a season that we've been required to be isolated. I'm thinking about a, maybe a, someone in the military who's you know, required to be deployed and, and physically, literally removed from the fellowship or the church. Now, I get that and I understand that. And there's seasons of life. But understand this. The Christian is searching and they will settle. They will join themselves in fellowship. Why? Because they need it. They need it. They need it. Certainly, one cannot be a healthy Christian outside of the fellowship because they're not yoked. They're not able to pull the weights of life together with fellow believers. They're not obedient to God's Word. You know that the majority of the commands found in the New Testament for believers are plural commands written for churches, intended for you to be fulfilling within the context of the church. Many of the bear one another's burdens, love one another, serve one another. The commands of fellowship are meant to be lived out within the context of the church. And so how can you obey those commands if you're not involved? If you're not in it? See, the fellowship is essential. It's part of who you are. Essential in your association and also essential in the activity of the Christian life. John says it this way. He says, your fellowship, in 1 John 1, he says, your fellowship is with us, and indeed, that fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Saying that you belong to Him is simultaneously affirming that you belong to His bride, the church. This is the nature of our association together. United in Christ. Do you feel the weight of that? you feel the weight of the implications of that, your responsibility to one another, the, the way that you should be giving yourself to one another, getting into each other's lives, really uniting and opening oneself up to another. These are our people, the church, the fellowship. We need each other. We've been joined together and we need to work together. I can't tell you how many Christians that I've talked to um, that talk about you know, their time not being in fellowship, that it was, they describe themselves kind of like a fish that's floundering outside of the water. I'm not connected with God's people and I'm struggling. Well, it's no coincidence that there's a correlation there. We need each other. We need each other in the context of the local church. We need this association, this group. So that is our association. That's the nature of it. I want to look at two more passages to talk about the activities of fellowship. What does it look like? What does good fellowship look like? Is it as simple as, you know, enjoying a good potluck meal together? 
Oh, that was good fellowship. Or, hey, I had just a great conversation with so-and-so after church. It was great fellowship. Well, let's see. What does fellowship look like? What does the Bible describe as true fellowship? The first passage we're going to look at is Acts chapter 2. Would you turn there in your Bibles? This is what we read for our scripture reading. And all these things are related. There's great purpose in our order of service. Acts chapter 2, 42. Aaron did a great job of giving you some background as to what is happening here. People are responding to the preaching of Peter. And this is the spawn, the, ch- the birth of the church at Pentecost. Okay, This is a very important event that happens. The Holy Spirit rushes from heaven, fills the apostles. Peter, the rock on whom Christ will build his church, he preaches the gospel. The word cuts the hearts of those listening. And they ask, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. That day were added 3,000 souls. That's a lot. That's a lot. And what did these people start doing together? What did they start doing? Let's look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Ah, then to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We see essential elements of our church gathering right there. What do we gather to do? What should we be devoting ourselves to? Really, the word, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Looking specifically at that second word there, or that second important aspect, fellowship. Fellowship, the word koinonia. Koinonia in the Greek is to have all things in common. And so it's described further down in the text. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. All things. What does that mean? Well, they were bound to each other in Christ, close association, and that resulted in some togetherness activity, sharing their lives with each other. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. Day by day. Yes, you read that right, verse 46. Day by day, not week by week, not month by month, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is a stark contrast from the quote-unquote church of today. It's a stark contrast from the mind-your-own-business mentality. It's very different from the world of streaming, Zooming, and no-contact delivery. Three things strike me about this early fellowship. Three observations from this passage. The first is the intimacy. The intimacy of their fellowship. These people are more than acquaintances. All who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were meeting tangible needs in each other's lives, even financial needs, sharing financial burdens. They were in each other's homes. They were eating at each other's tables. I mean, talk about opening up, being a little bit vulnerable, right? 
being in each other's homes. I think people often today in the church, they hide behind their profile picture. You know what I mean by that? The profile picture of the social media account, it's usually your best picture, right? The best, your good side of your face, the best angle, the best outfit, the best smile. You get the picture. No pun intended. You don't want to show anybody with the profile picture the blemishes or the struggle or the ugly that could be deceiving. But you know that for someone to really know you or for someone really to see you, then you've got to let them into your life. You've got to show them some candid shots, right? They've got to see you in the home. They've got to see you interact with your spouse, interact with your children, to live life with you. And that's the picture of what we see here, an intimate, deep relationship. These people were sharing their struggles with each other, opening up, surely, about the weaknesses in their life, discouragements, concerns, worries, and fears. You know, and and it starts with you and I becoming a little bit vulnerable and opening ourselves up, not just our homes, but our hearts. Listen, people aren't going to know how to meet your needs if they don't know your needs. People are not going to know what struggles or concerns or fears you have in your life if you don't tell them. Or even for us to initiate and say, how can I pray for you? To try to help others open up in that way. It requires us to be a little bit vulnerable, doesn't it? That's a starting place to deep relationship. Transparency, vulnerability with one another. Opening up our homes and our hearts to one another. Sharing life together. That's what these people did in the early church. And the second thing I noticed, not only intimacy, is the frequency. I highlighted day by day in verse 46. You know what that means? Well, it means exactly that. Day by day. Daily relationship building. Eating together, raising kids together, living life together. I want you to ask this question. Is the frequency of your fellowship activity, is it enough to really know others and to be known by them? Is the frequency of your fellowship activity enough to really know others and be known by others? It's probably going to involve a little bit more than a, hey, how are you on a Sunday morning? Although that is a start, is being there on Sunday morning. Or at least committing to a weekly touch point. Call them touch points. You can get into each other's lives and ask good questions. Some ideas for how to cultivate more frequency in your fellowship. You can invite people into your home. They did it. Early church. That's a start. You can call people midweek. We have technology that we can redeem and use to help us get into each other's lives. could be a text. You could join an additional Bible study to Sunday mornings that, that meets midweek and start to get to know people through them. Growth groups, men's studies, women's studies. You can get together for coffee. Schedule a, a get-together. Hey, how can I pray for you? And you want to make the most of your time in each of these circumstances by asking good questions to get past the shallows of life and get into the depths of the heart. One of the best ways to do that is, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? What, what, what are you struggling with? What, what are the big concerns in your life? What are the burdens that you're bearing right now? Can I pray for you? That's a really, I think, uh, it's, a, it's an approachable way to get into someone's life 
You want to let people into your life and, and have them let you into theirs so that you can share your concerns and your joys so that you can walk with the yoke and carry the burdens and pull the plow with them in their Christian life. We need that. Relationships grow deeper over time and with frequency. Then the third thing I'm noticing in here is the attraction. The attraction. These people were having favor with all the people. And the Lord used these means to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, this is encouraging because, you know, we don't have to build a cool website or have a beautiful church building to draw a crowd. We just need to be faithful to devote ourselves to the Word of God, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. That's what we need to be faithful to. That's what we need to be committed to. Now, I want you to not underestimate the value of fellowship in that formula. The Word of God needs to be preached front and center, yes and amen, but don't underestimate the witness of true fellowship, true and deep relationships. You know, people in the world, they crave community. You're seeing this everywhere. And, you know, they, they try to fulfill and, and find ways to fabricate community at their gyms, at parks, in sports, at work, on Reddit, or even in the, meta, in the metaverse. Virtual community. They're striving for it. They, they want it desperately. But listen, when the church gathers, there's nothing like this. When people of different color, different cultural backgrounds, when they unite under the same banner and for the same cause, when they genuinely love each other, when they're generous toward one another, when there is true joy, and you know what? Good food helps. Good food helps. Okay? The world looks in and asks, what do you have that I don't have? There's something different here than even my gym. There's something different here than my workplace. This is true, deep fellowship. Deep relationship. And so if we want to see God grow Summit Bible Church, then let's devote ourselves to these things and be committed to the Word of God, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer, to prayers together. So this is just a snapshot and a few observations from one event in history and just looking at their fellowship. I want to take you to a second passage, Hebrews chapter 10. And this is where we'll settle down and and camp for the remainder of the time. Hebrews 10. Mark Dever, uh, the author of The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, he calls this the lettuce patch of the Bible. Because there's a bunch of let us commands. You like that? The lettuce patch. Now the plural pronouns and the let us commands give us a clue. What is that? That these are meant to be fulfilled together. This isn't for individual Christians. This is for the plurality, the corporate. Let us together. Fellowship. Now in verses 19 to 21 the author reminds us of the reason we have fellowship. And it is 
By the way, the same reason in Ephesians chapter 2, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? The blood of Jesus, Hebrews 10.19. Now, the author uses this Hebrew typology, okay? And that is, he uses this metaphor of the temple and the priest. He essentially says the Old Testament priests point forward to a greater priest, and that's Jesus. And the Old Testament temple, which was the dwelling place for God, points forward to an even greater dwelling place for His people. And the confidence that we have to enter into God's presence is because of the access that Jesus Christ gave us through His sacrifice. He gave us personal relationship with God individually. And by the way, look to your right and left. You have a fellowship with other believers who have been given that same access. When Jesus, listen to this, when He breathed His last on the cross, when He said, it is finished, and His Spirit left Him, The curtain that separated the common man from the holy place in the actual temple ripped in two. That actually happened. The curtain that was very thick split when Jesus died on the cross. That's told in Matthew 27, 51. And that signified a greater reality. That signified that God's or or that Christ's sacrifice does away with the separation between the people of God and the dwelling place of God. The new dwelling place of God, it's no longer in a building, but it is the place where His people gather. It's the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Verse 21, And the great high priest Jesus Christ, He resides over the house of God. That is significant. You and I have personal access and we have corporate access to the living God. We are His dwelling place, the new dwelling place. And so that when two or more are gathered together, God is present in their midst. That's within the context of really church discipline, the church gathered. You need to know that worship is not just an individual experience. Worship is a corporate experience. And that's why the author feeds us the lettuce. Three lettuce commands here. A, B, C. Three leaves of lettuce, if you will. Matters of utmost importance as we gather together in the church. And we'll go through these quickly. First is to approach with full hearts. A, approach. I don't have these on the screen. Approach with full hearts. Author says, let us together draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, verse 22, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Full assurance of faith is confidence. And it's not self-confidence. It's Christ's confidence, right? We, we can be confident to enter the house of God and worship because of Jesus, not ourselves, right? So we don't walk in here with our chest puffed out thinking we're better than everybody else because we do more good works than every... No, no, no. That's not why we're here. You're sitting in these seats because of Jesus. Because Jesus bought you with His blood. He gave His life for you. That should, that should cause us to approach with some humility, not pride. 
And the author's referring still to this metaphor of the temple. And, and you should know that in the Old Testament, before the priests could approach the temple and give sacrifice on behalf of the people, they would have to wash, ceremonially wash their hands. It was a signifying them cleansing themselves before they make sacrifice for the people. Now, similarly, we don't perform the actual ritual, ritual of ceremonial washing, but we make sure that we spiritually are washing, cleansing ourselves as we approach the gathering of God. So we approach with a clear conscience, with, with a sincere heart, and our, our bodies watch. And so the idea is that the inner man and the outer man is, is ridding itself of sin. That we're coming to God's house confessing sin, having dealt with sin. Drawing near to God is, is drawing near into His holy presence. And so we don't just come in nonchalantly. We don't just come in you know, with, the, with the bad attitude, not thinking about what we're doing. There's something to be said about our approach into worship. Making sure that our hearts are ready. Even our, our bodies are ready as we approach. Because this is the dwelling place of God and we recognize that. We draw near with fear. Does that describe your drive-in this morning? Did you prepare your heart? Is your confidence in yourself or is it in Christ? Tread carefully and approach with full hearts in Jesus. Secondly, approach with a full heart to bind to the Word. Bind to the Word. A, B, C. Bind to the Word. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Notice again, this is something we do together. Let us together hold fast. We don't hold fast to one man's interpretation, Joseph Smith. When one man goes off and interprets the Bible by himself, trouble. Every time. We hold fast to the confession together. Together. And that is the Word of God. The teaching of the apostles and the prophets. More specifically in this passage, we need the promises of God. We need to hold fast to the promises of God. We need to encourage ourselves to look forward and bank on God's Word, to hang on His Word like our lives depend on it. And that's why we at Summit Bible Church, we're committed to the Scriptures. We're going to try to live up to our middle name, Summit Bible Church, because it's important that we are equipping, that we are learning, and that we are growing in God's Word. And so we're going to stick to the book like glue. We're going to hold fast to it together. And even there's this sense of mutual accountability to that. If I get up here and teach something that is not right, then the expectation is that the church would come and say, wait a minute, pastor, that, that's not right. We hold each other accountable to the Word of God, to the accurate teaching of God's Word. So we're bound to the Word. Three, consider, C, consider how to stir up love and good works. Approach with full hearts, bind to the Word, and consider how to stir up love and good works. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir up. Now this word for stir up is to agitate, to arouse, to provoke activity. Think of a frother. What does the frother do to the milk? It agitates it. 
stirs it up so that it aerates, right, and produces a, a frothy foam. That's what Christians do to each other. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. We've got to be honest. We get into each other's lives. We're, but, we're, but the aim is not that we would frustrate each other, not that we would annoy each other, but that we would stir each other up to love and good works. That's our goal, that we would help each other love and help each other walk in obedience and, and holiness. That's what, what we're here to do. That's why we gather. One of the reasons is to stir up one another. So when you come in, you're not considering, well, I hope the music is good today. Or, you know, I hope the sermon really speaks to me. Or I hope the people are nice to me and my family. Those are great things, and we hope to be all those things. But you should be coming in going, how can I stir up others today? You know what? I'm going to go find the stranger in service. And I'm going to sit next to them. Well, I want to go find Jane and encourage her this morning because I know she needs encouragement. She's going through a tough time. I want to follow up with John and see how he's doing in his fight against sin. I'm going to invite John and Jane Doe (laughs) to lunch after church and talk with them about how we can apply the sermon together. That would be stirring, agitating, frothing each other up to love and good works. The author states the obvious here. You know what the obvious is? You can't do that if you neglect to meet. Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Well, that's encouraging because apparently this is a bad habit that is 2,000 years old. People just not coming to church. Maybe not encouraging, but discouraging. But look at what you miss when you neglect to meet together, you, you miss that stirring up. You miss, really, the accountability of good fellowship. You miss the opportunity to have somebody in the yoke next to you carrying and bearing the burdens of your life. You miss all the benefits of fellowship. Hebrew, earlier in Hebrews, it says that if you refuse to gather together, if you refuse to encourage each other, it leads to unchecked sin in your life. And that sin can be destructive. You miss all that if you're not yoked together, if you're not fellowshipping, if you're not engaged in this. Not neglecting to meet together, verse 25, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. But encouraging one another. Notice the contrast to neglecting the gathering is not simply attending the gathering. Did you catch that? So you would think the opposite of neglecting is just showing up. The author of Hebrews wants more than that. He says, not neglecting, but what? Encouraging. So you're showing up not just to be here, not just to show the face, but to engage, to participate, to encourage. And we need that encouragement desperately, don't we? Ask any soldier in war, In a battle, one of the most encouraging things that that soldier can face in a battle or that he can know in the battle is that he has a brother next to him. He has a soldier alongside him. One of the most encouraging things when you're going through a trial or a very difficult thing in your life is knowing that you have a brother or sister that's with you in that trial. You have somebody to cry with. Furthermore, one of the most encouraging things when you have a great triumph in life, when there's success, is that there's somebody there to celebrate that success with you. We need encouragement, don't we? And we need it all the more because look at verse 25. 
all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, which implies judgment for his enemies and a gathering, a uniting of his bride, the church. When I think of fellowship, I'm reminded of J. R. R. Tolkien's analogy in Lord of the Rings. Um, the Fellowship of the Ring, the title of the first book, right? And you have this council of Elrond. And it's really, it's this gathering of, of man, elf, hobbit, and dwarf. A motley crew. But they unite together to answer the threat of Mordor and to save Middle-earth from doom. That's the call. That's the banner they fellowship under. The need for fellowship is built upon the urgency of impending destruction. And so those three or four different people will unite. The author of Hebrews builds a similar need in our passage. Fellowship is vital because the day of the Lord is imminent. Our king is returning for his people. He's going to destroy his enemy and he's going to gather his church. And so during this time before his coming, it's all the more necessary, it's all the more important for us to continue to gather together, to continue to unite together, to continue to function together under the cause of Christ because we have the message of hope. So we're the only witness to the world and we're the only encouragement to each other that we have. We need each other. Calvin writes this, Therefore, the nearer his coming is, the more we ought to labor, that the scattered may be assembled and united together, that there may be one fold as there is one shepherd. How is your fellowship activity in light of that? Do you see it as important? Are you willing to give your life to others? under the banner of Jesus Christ, by His blood, in the cause of the mission of the gospel to make disciples. One of the most effective witnesses that we can have is to not only share the gospel, to preach it, and we must do that, but to live it out as we love one another in the context of the church. The world will look in and go, what do they have that I don't have? And we'll be an effective witness of the kingdom of heaven if we do that, Jesus said, the people will know you by your love for one another. How is that playing out in your life? Are you committed to doing that within the fellowship of the local church? Let's pray. Father, you have called us into the fellowship. Every person here who has been called is thankful for that. Because like sheep, we all went astray. We all went our own way. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're like wandering strangers and aliens in this world. Foreigners that don't really have a, a home in our heart. 
But you, God, seeing our dreadful condition, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior that we need to accomplish the work of our redemption by living a perfect life, shedding His blood on the cross, and raising again from the dead. And through Christ, we can have salvation. Through Christ, we can be reunited with you, God. We can be reconciled to you. We can have relationship with you, God. And we know, and it is so clear from Scripture, that as we are drawn near to you, O God, that we are also drawn near to fellow brothers and sisters. We're made into a house. We have a new family, new citizenship, and a new kingdom with the fellow saints. God, I pray that we would embrace the responsibility of those truths and apply it to our lives. That we would embrace our responsibility that we have for one another to love each other, to encourage each other, to bear one another's burdens, to stimulate and stir up one another to love and good deeds, to keep each other accountable. And even though sometimes that's uncomfortable, God, pray that we would trust you, apply your word, and trust the process of opening our lives to one another and letting each other in. God, I pray that you would bless that and grow Summit Bible Church, not just in breadth, but in depth of relationship. That we would be a unique community, community different than the world and that we would have deep roots in our relationship with one another and that that would be a, an incredible witness of the gospel lived out in our lives. Help us in these endeavors. In Jesus' name, amen.